we are going to have to just jump right in on this one. This is right into the deep end. Right into the deep end on this one. Something um, we're about to embark on a journey that we have not yet embarked on in this podcast. And yeah, there's been lots and lots of hours put into this case. A lot. I ordinarily, when we do an episode, when Samantha brings a, a case, I don't know anything about it because she wants my reaction. She wants my, you know, initial response to, to all of it. And, and this time, <laughs> this is very, very, very different. She handed me a binder that has approximately 1,500 pages of court documents and said, Hey, Trace, take a look at this. I made sticky notes for you, but I don't know what any of this means. Uh, so we've got we've got a good one here, and it's going to, I imagine, be multi-parts, and mm-hmm. we're going to we're gonna dive deep into this one because there's this one, there's a lot. Yep, there's a lot. So this is gonna be a pretty brief overview. And don't be worried if you're still a little bit confused at the end, because like we said, this is going to be a multi-parter. Right, right. So, I am Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. All right. Okay, let's go. So, it is 1991. We are in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where you would find the oldest Amish community in the United States. Lancaster um, County is compressed of a bunch of small towns, um, making it, making the greater area making up of the greater area, but we will be focused mostly on Lancaster and East Lampeter Township. Now, this is an unincorporated township, uh, and the population of one of the areas that we're going to be looking at is just a little over a 1,000. Small little places. Small. While Lancaster as a whole has about six, 60,000 people in it, a little bit under that. So pretty small little area. And very Amish. Very Amish, Yes. So why are we focusing on a small town in Pennsylvania? Today we will be discussing the very confusing murder of Lori Show. Um, so this is, like we said, a multi-part episode because at the end of this episode we are going to have a little little surprise for you guys um, <laughs> that's going to make you question everything that you hear today, honestly. Yep. So like I said, if you're a little bit confused, just roll with it. Roll with it. Bear ride, with us. And ride this one out. Stay with us to the end in this one. And it'll all make sense. So on December 19th, 1991, Hazel Show, um, um, the mother of 16-year-old Lori, receives a phone call from, uh, from her daughter's school counselor saying that she needed to meet with her the following morning in regards to an issue that her daughter was having at school. So both Hazel and Lori were really confused by this call, but Hazel said she would attend the early morning meeting on December 20th. So Hazel leaves the ne- her home the next morning around 7 a.m. only to discover that there is no meeting with the school counselor. <clears throat> Sorry, I did that thing where the air went down the r- uh, tube again. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, there's so much to cover. We got like, to talk oh. really fast. And then I talked too fast and I inhale it in the wrong tube. So there is no meeting with the school counselor. And when she returns home, she will find every mother's worst nightmare and will be finding her daughter clean, barely hanging on to life after oh, a brutal attack. Gosh. So police report that Lori had received a five-inch gash to her throat, a stab wound that had punctured her lung, and another that would graze her spine. There would also be multiple wounds to her head and many defensive wounds. To her mother, um, Hazel's initial statement, when she arrived, she ran to her daughter, and while she was holding her, her daughter's last words was, Michelle did it, right before she would succumb, succumb to her injuries. 
Now, the police came up with suspects very quickly in this case. The individuals the police identified and strongly believed to be responsible for Lori's death were Lisa Michelle Lambert, Lawrence Butch Yukin, and Tabitha Tabby Buck. So these, um, who are these individuals and why were they believed to be responsible? So first, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about Lori. She was a 16-year-old student at, I'm going to say this school wrong, Constoga? Constoga Valley High School? I don't know. I think I'm saying it wrong. Um, But Lori was involved in a feud with Lisa Michelle Lambert after Lori briefly dated Lawrence. Uh, Her mother, Hazel, later said that her daughter had told her that Lawrence had date-raped her when they were seeing each other. And classmates and co-workers of show later said that Lambert had been harassing and assaulting her for weeks leading up to her murder. So Lisa Michelle... Like physically assaulting her? Verbally. verbally There was one account where... um, she had pushed her in a parking lot. Okay. There was an account of that. Kind of normal shit. Yeah. Girls being mean about stay girls away from my being man. Emotional. Being, yeah. Been there, done that. Think most of us have. We've all been a little crazy sometimes. So. Well, it's not crazy. It's just highly emotional and, and territory. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've all done that. I, I think everybody can. Can relate. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. So Lisa Michelle Lambert um, also went to that same high school, um, but she had dropped out. She was 19 years old at this time and was reportedly pregnant with Lawrence's child at the time of Lori's murder. Reportedly or she was? She was. Okay. Mm -hmm. So testimony later reveals that Lisa was very upset um, when she discovered that Lori and Lawrence had dated the summer before Lori was killed. And um, as we will find out, Lisa will be charged for this. Lawrence Yukin was 20 years old at the time of the murder, and Lawrence admitted to driving uh, Lisa and Tabitha to Lori's home the morning of the murder and taking them from the scene after it occurred. Hold on. He was 20? Mm-hmm. Lori was 15? 16. Okay. <laughs> Do with that information as you will. Okay. Uh, so... After he was brought in, he cooperated with prosecutors and testified against uh, Lisa and Tabitha on their trials um, for in exchange for a one-year prison sentence. Yeah, i.e. he made a plea deal. Mm-hmm. But it was later determined that he would commit perjury during these trials. What? I know, wild. And he would be um, convicted of third-degree murder and com- uh, receive a 10- to 20-year prison term in 1992. He will serve 12 years in prison before being patrolled in 2004. Paroled. What did I say? Patrolled. (laughs) (laughs) Tabitha Buck. Tabitha was a 17-year-old senior at Penn Manor High School and a friend of Lisa's at the time of the murder. At her trial, Lisa's, um, uh, Lisa's defense claimed that it was Tabitha and Lawrence who actually committed the murder while she was merely an observer. Tabitha's defense team um, denied that claim, and Tabitha admitted she knocked on Lori's door when she and Lisa arrived at the home, sat on Lori's legs while Lisa killed her. So Lisa, Lawrence, and Tabitha were arrested at the Garden Spot Bowling Center hours after the murder murder occurred, and they were arraigned a day later. Uh, So I kind of wanted to talk about, because like I said, I gave you all this information, and then you were like, I'm going to dig in a little bit more. I I know you, I kind of pushed this over to you. Like, what's the difference between, like, the charges here? 
Okay. And kind of what that means. So... If you can give us a little uh, more information on that. Yeah. So, Wyoming has always been my focus state. And so, specific specific state laws... I know federal law really well, and I know Wyoming state law really well. But individual states, it varies so very much. So, I actually had to go digging for Pennsylvania and through their, their state statute books and... It's a shit show over there, man. Really? Oh my gosh. They do it so differently there. There's only, I want to say three or four states in the entire United States that does first degree, second degree, and third degree murder. I was like third degree murder, but third degree murder is not manslaughter. They they have manslaughter oh, charges it's a whole too. Thing? It's completely different. Their judicial system, it's a very, very... Um, it's confusing as hell. Mm-hmm. And the jurisdictional things is is super confusing. But this is what I this is what I find in their state statute books. <clears throat> so murder in the first degree in Pennsylvania, it's considered an intentional killing. Okay, so the state statute clarifies the offense even further as the intentional killing of another person by lying in wait, poison or any other act that is deliberate, willful, and premeditated. Mm, That's the word, okay? So then second-degree murder, the second-degree murder occurs when one person takes the life of another while they're committing a felony. So, like, if you're, like, robbing somewhere and you shoot somebody in it, that's second-degree murder. Robbery, kidnapping, carjacking, something like that. Yep. Okay, so murder in the third degree. This is so interesting to me. It is any other type of murder that is not considered murder in the first or second degree that involves killing another person without premeditation. Hmm. But then, of course, they've got manslaughter and all the rest of it under that. So, so they were charged, Lawrence was charged with hindering apprehension or prosecution. The fuck? Okay. (laughs) Lisa was charged with criminal homicide, which is first degree murder, and and conspiracy to commit criminal homicide. So premeditating it. Correct. Tabitha was charged with the same things, but Lisa was an adult. Tabitha was a juvenile. Mm, And that does come into play later. Yeah. So, but that, but, but it's interesting. It was Pennsylvania. I'm going to go into Pennsylvania here in just a second. And I'm going to pop off about <laughs> Pennsylvania. This whole like case too, like this is all kind of like, excuse my language, a shit show. It it's is. It's a shit show. It is. And you know, the, the more we do this, what's my favorite state? Uh, Idaho. Idaho. Idaho is my hands down, fuck around and find out state. Pennsylvania Oh my god. Well, and I I want to be very clear too. Like today's episode is just going off of what the media says. Like I'm trying to keep my opinion very out of this. And it's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do <clears throat> because I have very strong opinions about this case and I will probably state that at the end. We will. We but, will definitely. Um, <laughs> but like right now it's I mean your perspective. I'm trying to keep it very what the media said. 
you you're going from that from that angle my angle is absolutely follow the facts Mm -hmm. I don't I don't care who said what I don't care whatever show me that I want facts but I would just I will share mine at the end of this episode yep me too me too (laughs) (laughs) so if you're listening and you're like Sam sounds very like to the facts today that's because I'm trying to keep it very uh, objective objective here yeah so Lawrence initially told the police that he thought Lisa and Tabitha were going to go over there and cut Lori's hair with a knife as a prank. He said that he admitted that he provided an alibi and helped dispose of the evidence. And his testimony would later change as Lisa and Tabitha both recanted their initial statements, with Lisa stating that um, Lawrence was really abusive and had encouraged her to harass and assault Lori. So while in police custody, the detectives and the police would take notes and photographs of all three suspects. That's very standard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The police and detectives... Probably the only standard thing that they did. 100%. Uh, The police and detectives noticed that Lisa did not have a single defensive wound on her. No. Not a single wound. While Tabitha Buck would have many, including fresh scratch marks to her face and scratch marks on her right shoulder. Lawrence also had defensive wounds, um, and for such a violent act against Lori, like I said, all the defensive wounds, all the stab wounds, slitting her throat, like the things that happened to this girl, all three of them, if they were there, should have had defensive wounds. But Lisa had If they all had an active part, yes. They should have had wounds. Not should have, they would have. Yeah. Yeah. So a few weeks after the crime, an earring back was also found in the room of Lori, um, which was found to have belonged to Lawrence, who... Like I said from his statement, he just drove them there. Right. So that's... Another innocent man. But also, I would just like to point out that this evidence was turned over to police and was lost. Yep. So. um, So like I just said, Lisa came out that Lawrence was really abusive. And um, so her relationship with Lawrence, she said, had been violent and unpredictable. Um, they met at a public swimming pool in 1990, and it started off just the way that he would meet Lori the next summer. After a few dates, Michelle said that he'd raped her in his van parked in front of her, um, her parents' home. Uh, and she, <clears throat> uh, her family followed a very strict Christian upbringing. Yeah. Um, and I did read in it from an interview with her where she said that, like, she dressed almost Amish like Mm -hmm. her family was very religious until she met Lawrence yeah and at that point um he made her change her name from Lisa to Michelle yeah he didn't like the name Lisa so she went by Michelle he wanted her to wear skimpy clothing to please him um and he wanted her to be a submissive woman to him so uh the domineering young man determined what she like I said what she wore uh he wouldn't let her learn how to drive he made her drop out of high school. They moved in together. And like I, like we know from the beginning, she did get pregnant with his child. Um, they fought very frequently and he would beat her regularly. And we do, in my giant binder I gave you, there is police it's reports. Validated. It's validated. She she did endure she, uh, a lot. Yes. Um, she also, in an interview I read, um, their sex life, she said, was marked with terror um, he would cut his cheeks and tower over her in bed, bleeding on her. Yeah, while this was happening, um, there is an account where he sodomized her at least once, according to her mother, who found bloody sheets after a hysterical call from her, from her daughter. Jesus. So he sounds like a real great guy. I just want to 
put that out there that he sounds just fantastic. Insert sarcasm. Yeah. So domestic violence expert Ann Burgess would testify that Michelle had been become incapable of leaving Lawrence. She suffered from battered woman syndrome, which I don't know a lot about. And once again, this is going to kind of pop over to Tracy because that's like, that's your... That's my gig. Your gig. So if you can kind of just explain to us like what battered woman syndrome is and why that would make her incapable of leaving Lawrence. Okay. So battered woman woman syndrome, it's described clinically as a sab a subcategory of PTSD. Okay. <clears throat> um, battered women. It's. It results, like, it manifests with very, very distinct characteristics and symptoms. Lisa would, I imagine, and I'm speaking for her, and, I mean, if I'm, this is general, but she would think that it was her fault. Mm -hmm. She would think that her role as a woman, as his partner, would be, and especially, I was raised in a really, really religious home, too, Women are taught to be submissive. Men are the patriarchs of the family. Women are the matriarchs. Like it isn't a team. The man controls the home. He says what to do. You do what he says to do. Period. End of discussion. Right. There is no discussion. Um, she would, I imagine, hide it from friends and family. Make excuses for behavior. Act as though everything was fine. And again, because she would think that it was her fault mm-hmm. or that she was deserving of that. Of that of whatever was happening to her, right? It's a psycho it's horrible psychological abuse. Absolutely horrific. Um the reason that she wouldn't be able to leave would be multifaceted, right? The dependence. For someone to do to inflict any sort of abuse over someone else means that they have an element of power. Okay? i.e. fear. Mm-hmm. If he's treating her like that in a relationship, what's going to happen if she leaves? Well, And she already knows how unpredictable he is. She will be dead. I was going to say, I mean, let's look at I one mean, of his ex-girlfriends right now. Well, he's taking a knife and cutting his face while he's having sex with her or to scare her, he did that at a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. He did it. He did it multiple times. Yeah, on record. On record, this is validated. This isn't just. This isn't just the story of some bitch that's sitting in a jail cell somewhere. This is validated information. I'm a fact checker to the end. This is validated and real. This is this is who he was. I cannot imagine the fear of this girl. And how old was she? She was 19. She was 19 years old. She was a baby. Mm-hmm. She dropped out of high school. She moved in with him. Now she's pregnant. She's she's stuck. She's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. And she's going to do exactly what he tells her to do, exactly how he tells her to do it. And in addition, another thing that characteristic of these people that that do this will be I would bet that he was sleeping with, having sex with multiple other women oh i have that theory too and then he would and then i imagine he would come back to her and make it her fault yeah like you're disgusting or you smell or you don't satisfy me or you're gaining weight or you're not attractive or your mouth is getting you know something that she is doing 
that's making him go out and have sex with other Not people. Not because he can just take accountability for his own actions. He's got to make it somebody else's fault. No, it's fault. power and control. It's power and control. He's gross. So she is incapable of leaving. I mean, it's yeah. we see it over and over and over again with domestic violence, with, I mean, trying to get women to leave abusive relationships is like picking up feathers in the wind. I mean, it's because that element of control and the loyalty that we have back to them. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing, and I just want to throw this out there. If someone has never been in an abusive relationship, you don't get an opinion on the behavior of an abused woman because you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Yep. You have no idea what that does to the chemical makeup of your brain. Mm-hmm. So if you've never been through it, or someone you love has never been through it and you don't understand it, sit down and shut up. Preach. In my opinion. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> so, thank you for that. Um, so, it was stated that she would, that Lisa would taunt Lori to keep other girls away and to please Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, and to please Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But murder, Lisa said, was never a part of the plan. Her plan. Yep. So Lisa said that Tabitha had stabbed Lori and that she had tried to stop her. But she was very pregnant. Yeah. And she was worried about falling, about getting kicked in the fight. Like, it started out as a fight. She tried to leave. She said she stated that she tried to pull Lori out, but in the chaos, she she tried to leave. Yeah. So... Um, well, it sounds like Tabitha was pretty violent, though, wasn't she? Like, she was a fighter. Yeah. And did I read somewhere that the reason that, like, like the idea was not to kill her with the knife? Like, they had the knife because they, cut couldn't, her hair. Cause they couldn't find a pair of scissors, and mm-hmm. Lawrence had a knife, and he was like, it's sharp, it'll work just fine. Yeah. So, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, take this knife, and, I mean, that, they didn't have scissors. Right. And then I imagine, obviously, from the defensive wounds and everything, that she fought back. Yeah. And then it turned into, it just escalated. Yeah. I don't know. So, like I said, Lisa said she tried to leave. And at that point, um, because at first, Lisa says it was just Tabby and her that went in. That it started out as a fight. Things got out of control. She tried to leave. And when she was leaving in the condo stairway... Lawrence was there and stopped her and he went in she said she didn't go back in so also like I said at the very beginning when Hazel Lori's mom came home she claims that she said Michelle did it with her dying breath right so experts oh my gosh have argued over and over again if this was even possible yeah um because her fatal wound was her throat was slit. Yeah. You've got your voice box. You've got all of this. Your windpipe. Your, yeah. She was bleeding profusely. Like, I've I've seen the crime scene photos. Yeah. I... It is highly argued, argued mm-hmm. that this could be a possibility. Yeah. With the wounds that she sustained. Um, so, throughout all of this, um, one of the most serious claims that... And I don't even want to call this a claim. I think it happened, but... <laughs> I don't have any documentation proving that it happened, but I believe that this happened. 
um, Lisa said that three East Lampeter Township officers gang raped her a few months prior to this murder. Um, her defense attorneys not only argued that this led the authorities to be biased against her, but it also suggested that they may be framing her and setting her up to take the murder rap so that they could get her out of the way to save themselves. Now, this comes up later on in her story as well, like in her court cases and everything. And I just want to say these police, and I want to kind of let you go into a little bit about what the police are like in this area and why I believe that statement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, because even though no formal charges came from this. Yeah. I believe that this occurred. Um, well, why would she lie about that? A hundred percent. I mean, usually women just don't talk about their rapes, but yeah. Why would you just say? Right. Um, so you want me to tell you what I found about the police in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay, here we go. So Conestoga, I think that's how you say it. That's how the high school too. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Conestoga. Pennsylvania, like you said, is really, really small. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they have a police force. Their police force only has nine police officers. Oh, wow. And I mean, full time police officers. And then three part time ones. They're okay. So in Pennsylvania, well, everywhere, police departments are ranked and they're, they're graded. Based on performance, complaints, there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into this, okay? So that police department is ranked in the bottom 30% for popularity, the bottom 35% for all police departments in Pennsylvania altogether, and 38% in the U.S. Oh my gosh. That means... If you're a statistics person, which I am, I like numbers. Numbers make things make sense to me. One in six people believe that the police department there looks out for their best interest. Cute. That's not good numbers, yo. No. That's not not good. That's not impressive. That's not a good job. Okay, but here's another thing that's really interesting in Pennsylvania. In Wyoming... Our DOC, Department of Corrections, oversees everything, all the jails, county jails, prisons, probation, parole, all of it. There's one agency that basically answers to lawmakers about everything that happens in the state of Wyoming. It's not like that in Pennsylvania. Hmm. So the Department of Corrections oversees the operations of 23 state, 23 state Correctional institutions in Pennsylvania, 23, 14 community correction centers, and nearly 40 contract facilities. (laughs) What? (laughs) I can't. That's 40, 60, 80. That is 90 different state correctional institutions in the state of Pennsylvania. But they do not oversee county jails Hmm. they don't have anything to do with that county prisons county jails in pennsylvania are not under their jurisdiction and i am trying 
so hard to figure out who runs these, and I can't. Well, that sounds they're not funded, suspicious. They're funded by the county that they're in, but they aren't run by the SOs. Weird. And and I just haven't gotten to the bottom of I will get to the bottom of it. I promise <laughs> you I will. Um, and it sounds like policy and procedures are made by the commissioners of the counties. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm looking into it, and I actually have a friend of mine that's a lawyer that's looking into this too because I'm like, this isn't, I don't get this. Yeah. I just want to know who runs them. I just want to know who's in charge. Yeah. And that information is not publicly accessible. Anyway, parole Those decisions. That have nothing to hide, hide nothing. I'm just saying. No, for real. Pointing that out. Parole, saying that out loud. Parole decisions fall under the jurisdiction of the Pennsylvania Board of Probation and Parole, separate from the DOC. Interesting. I believe from what I, I, Again, I'm, your understanding of it all. I'm, 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 I don't know. So jails <clears throat> are owned by the county. They're run by the county. There's 63 county jails in Pennsylvania. There is, there is a different organization that oversees like the facilities to make sure that they're up to par and that they're safe, blah, blah, blah. They go in like between one and two years and do an inspection of the facility. But I don't know. I don't know who's overseeing their policy. I don't know. I'm going to figure that out. I promise you. So have you ever heard of Prison Policy Initiative? Mm-mm. Oh, I love this organization. It's a nonprofit that that goes like deep, deep, deep into investigating prisons, crime, crime data, the... Uh, Police calls, they anything that has to do with police and incarceration, they are deep in. And when you quote their stats, you can be 100% sure that the stats that you're getting is accurate. These people are on point. They do an amazing job. So all of this data comes from them. I love this organization. This organization mm-hmm. is like, they're good. And they they give you whatever you want, however you want it. Okay, Pennsylvania locks up a higher percentage of its people than any other democracy in the world. Holy shit. In the world. They are incarcerating their citizens at a higher and a faster rate than anywhere else in the world. Not what you want your state to be known for, but okay. 73,000 people are behind bars right now in Pennsylvania. 250,000 people are either incarcerated or under the supervision, under supervision of the judicial system in one state. I don't think Pennsylvania is that big, is it? Yeah, I mean, there's like 13 million yeah, people. Yeah, but I mean, like the actual there. state, I feel like you can no. drive it. I think it's like no. and it's you've smaller got, than Wyoming. And you've got Pittsburgh, you've got Philly, you've got, I mean, you've got some high, you know what I mean? Anyway, jails in Pennsylvania charge up to $3.15 per 15 minutes where the prisons charge 90 cents. They charge families I like 10% fee to give their family members in jail money. So for every $10 that you give somebody, they're going to take a dollar of it just because you're giving them money 
just because you're taking their time that you're paying with tax paying money. Right. But they're just, mm-hmm. they got to capitalize a little bit more, right? Okay. And if a person in Pennsylvania has more than $10 in their commissary account, they don't get any free anything. What? Right. If you've got money, you're spending your money. You're not using our shit. What? Mm-hmm. Isn't that awesome? To send an email to somebody, an email, which is free. Emails are free. They charge you 25 cents per email. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And some prisons in Pennsylvania are cited on uninhabitable toxic wastelands. See, okay, that's really interesting because I didn't include it in this. But in an interview with um, with Lisa from a few years, I don't remember exactly when it was. It wasn't recent. Um, she, when she was talking about her childhood, brought up that her mother had had a miscarriage due to, like, radiation from, yeah. mm-hmm. from a plant nearby. Um, that, like, a lot of families in her neighborhood were, like, losing children and, like, yeah. how, like, horrendous that was to, like, grow up living there. Mm-hmm. I read Ooh. that, too, and honestly went, went through my mind was, yeah, right. Until you read that. And then, but I validate things. I, it doesn't matter how ridiculous something is. I look for validation and I prove or disprove everything that people say. And this chick's not lying. That's why if she says that she was gang raped by three cops and she was set up, I believe her. I don't have any reason not to because everything else that she has said has been true. And I've proved it. Right. I don't have any reason to believe that she is lying. And I just told you how dirty those cops are and how the criminal justice system works there. Here's the other thing is when those cops went to court, I read the actual transcripts from the court. They straight don't answer questions. They plead the fifth. What the hell kind of police department, officers of the court, get subpoenaed to go to court and every question, were you there? Did you file? Did you write a report? I'm pleading the fifth. Did you take evidence? I plead the fifth. Did you, is your name Joe Blow? I plead the fifth. I mean, like he straight was not responding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the officers that was listed in that, when he was originally asked, like, did you participate in raping Lisa? No, I don't remember where I was that day, but I definitely didn't do that. And then, like, showed up to her parents' house and was, like, asking Oh, you haven't gotten questions. to that part yet. Have uh, you? Yeah. Oh. Like, because that's the, the first officer. Oh. Jeez. Like, like, showed up to her house and was, like, how is Lisa doing? And her parents were, like, get the fuck up off my property. Right. Why are you here? And then the next time they go to court, he's, like... Oh, I do actually remember where I was that day. I was getting married. Oh. <laughs> you just happened to forget that you, you got married? You forgot the, one of the most important days of your life, huh? That's fishy to me and whatever. No, it sounds totally legit. I, mean, I digress. Yeah. We'll get into that more. Jesus. So, uh, Lisa, Tabitha, and Lawrence were each tried for the murder of Lori. And Lawrence agreed to testify against Lisa, stating that she and Tabitha had slit uh, Lori's throat. After the two had punctured one of Lori's lungs. So a pair of um, sweatpants Lisa had supposedly been wearing that day of Lawrence's um, 
were supposedly being warned during the crime and they were entered into evidence by prosecution um, because Lori's blood was present on them. Another exhibit was a letter from Lisa to Lawrence where Lisa says, and I quote, I know I'm not an angel, but Lawrence, I've never gotten mad enough to kill. Wow. So March of 1992, we're jumping ahead a year, Lancaster County prosecutors announced that they will be intending to seek the death penalty against Lisa and Tabitha, who have been accused of, um, of being the people that actually committed the murder. Lawrence, who was... Um, accused of being an accessory to the crime was charged with a lesser offense of his secondary role because he was cooperating with prosecution nice march 25th lisa and tabitha enter a not guilty plea for the murder lawrence like i stated earlier was offered a plea deal which was taken and lisa was would be convicted of on july 20th of 1992 a first degree murder and criminal conspiracy in the death of Lori show tabithy tabitha tabitha Tabitha. Tabitha. Tabitha was convicted of similar charges. So Lisa was initially incarcerated in Cambridge Springs State Correction Institution, while Tabitha was sent to Muncie State Correctional Institution. Lawrence, receiving a lesser sentence, was granted parole in 2003. Cute. So as the trial for Lisa became, began, uh, Tabitha's attorneys filed petitions for their client to be tried as a juvenile. You kind of mentioned that earlier. A request that if not granted would um, a request that if granted would take death penalty for Tabitha completely off the table because she would be a minor, yep. um, and would possibly which get is, her. Which is a law that is it's a federal law straight across the board. Juveniles cannot be cannot be sentenced to death for any crime. Yeah. Also, if she got this, she could serve as little as four years in jail. Wow. So Tabitha's defense team argue that she should be tried as tried as a juvenile because she was 17 when the crime occurred and she had no prior criminal record. Um, so they go for that. Uh, the next day after filing in early July, they pull that defense because they agree to drop the death penalty. So they take death penalty off. They said, okay, you can try her as an adult. Meanwhile, at Lisa's trial, t uh, testimony from police revealed that Lisa had given several versions of what had happened on the day of Lori's murder, but said it was because uh, Lawrence had that Lawrence had actually stabbed her and had been asking her to cover for him. Mm -hmm. uh, members of Lisa's Which, defense, if you're in an abusive relationship, asking does not mean asking. Right, a hundred percent. Uh, Lisa's defense team also claimed in testimony that evidence from the scene indicated that Lori had written the initials TB in her own blood at the crime. I again have seen the crime scene photos. It does appear that this did happen. Hmm. Whose initials are TB? Yeah. Tabitha Bucks. In contrast, um, once again, Lori's mother testified that her daughter had said that it was, that it was yeah. Michelle. It was Lisa. Mm-hmm. So she, on July 20th of 1992, Lancaster judge, County Judge Lawrence Stiegel, who at the request of the defense team, heard the trial, heard Lisa's trial without a jury and convicts her of first degree murder and criminal conspiracy. Lambert is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In August of 1992, the state Supreme Court moves Tabitha's trial out of Lancaster County to Easton Lehigh County 
citing the intense media coverage of the crime that had been received that she wasn't going to get a fair trial. By October 1st of 1992, after an eight-day trial, Tabitha was found guilty of second-degree murder by Lehigh County jury, which deliberated for three hours. Reports of the trial indicated that jurors, prosecutors, and even Lori's mother weren't sure um, if it was Lisa or Tabitha that fatally stabbed Lori, but believed that both Tabitha and Lisa participated in the crime. Tabitha was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her attorneys immediately appealed this conviction um, and began an appeals process that would last three years. Uh, in 1997, Lisa sent a handwritten letter um, to appeal to the U.S. District Judge Stuart Drazel, who orders to review the case. At the hearing before, Dr- before Drazel in federal court, Lambert claimed uh, Lawrence was abusive and pushed her into assault to assault Lori out of fear that he would be a jail, go to jail because of his rape of Lori. Mm-hmm. She claimed that it was Tabitha who murdered Show and that she had fled the scene only to be stopped by Lawrence. Lisa's new defense team claimed that there were numerous incidents where prosecutors and investigators committed misconduct and an effort to implicate her. Yep. After the three-week hearing, um, Drizel wrote a scathing review of his case in which he determined Lisa was actually, quote, completely innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ripped into the Lancaster County investigators, prosecutors, and other judges in this case and ordered her to be freed immediately. The judge. The judge did. Yep. There was a FBI investigation of this police department. We're going to cover that in the next part. Yep. So almost 10 months after she, after his big bombshell of releasing Lisa, she's out, she's free. Let's remember she was pregnant at the beginning of all this. So probably getting to enjoy time with her child. For the first for time. For the first time. Yeah. Ten months later, she is returned to jail. <sighs> she had not, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that she had not exhausted her appeals at the state level. Therefore, her conviction in federal court had no standing. Yep. What the actual fuck is that? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's bullshit. But it's the way it works. That's fucked up. It is. It's <laughs> totally, it's completely fucked oh. up. But that's the way it works. If you are in district court, you have to, you know, with my program, with IDP, I was taken, one of the county attorneys took me to the Wyoming Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And the Wyoming Supreme Court rejected it and said, no, you have to go to district court. You don't get to just come to us first. But they rejected it. They didn't make a ruling. She was free for 10 months. She was free. And then just out of the blue, boom, okay, you're going back. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Jesus. So they say she has to do her appeals there, right? So she does. She's like, okay, I've already, I just won. Reappeal. Right. She gets the same judge from her first trial. Right. Who... Whose whose sentence is being questioned, who's going to be pissed. Who refuses to see any evidence from her federal case. Yep. How can you exclude all of that? How can you be like, no? Yep. What the heck? Just denied. Just, yeah. So, he upholds his original conviction. Yep. Lisa appeals again. Unfortunately, she runs out of it. Appeals. Yeah. She is out of appeals. So 
back to Tabitha here a little bit so I don't get too riled up on that nonsense. In 2012... Because uh, we'll go back to that in part seriously. two. In 2012, a 2012 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court deemed life sentences against juvenile offenders as unconstitutional. We've talked about this in previous cases before. So that allowed Tabitha to receive a new hearing for a new sentencing. The decision also made her eligible to receive parole. Oh, my God. Lancaster County President Judge Dennis Reekener ordered Tabitha's new sentence to be 28 years to life. But since Tabitha had already served 26 years, she became eligible for parole. Prosecutors argued that Tabitha should serve at least 30 years before becoming eligible for parole, pointing to the crime's devastation on Lori's family, um, Lori's surviving family, and uh, and to the rest of the community. Because like we said at the beginning, this is a small town. Assistant Assistant District Attorney Susan Moyer also said Tabitha never expressed any remorse for what happened. Really? To this, yeah. Uh, Lori's mother read a statement during that hearing saying Lori died a horrible death for reasons that I will never understand. Which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's true. Yeah. Um, She also said, why would you agree to come to our house that morning? She asked Tabitha. And Tabitha would then testify for 15 minutes when asked by President Judge about the crime, Tabitha said that she just, quote, can't imagine how Lori's mother feels. In August of 2019, the State Board of Probation granted Tabitha parole, listing her earliest release date as 20, uh, December 21st, a day af- after the anniversary of the death. I would just like to point out, because like we said, we like numbers. Yeah. Um, she is barred from residing or traveling to Lancaster County and prohibited from contacting Lori Show's family, and required to take psychiatric medication as prescribed by her doctor. Uh, Lancaster County... Oh, what's her diagnosis? Do we know? No idea. Huh. Can't find... What I have in this is what I can find. It's really hard to find information on her. I know she lives in Oregon. That's all I know. Lancaster County uh, District Attorney's Office spokesperson Brett Hamright issued the following statement from District Attorney Craig Steedman on her parole. Quote, the resentencing of juvenile murderers has been one of the most difficult and gut-wrenching tasks we have ever had to handle. Our system told fam- victims' families their cases were over, and in many cases, for decades. The courts ruled we follow the law, but there is no way to diminish and add emotional trauma that the emotional trauma we are adding to these families. Most of all, we must remember the innocent victims whose lives were taken and have no ability to appeal to receive a new sentence. In 2007, Lisa appeared in court again to sue the correctional institution over a rape by a state prison staff in 1996. Lisa's lawyer argued that the institution had done nothing to stop these assaults and Lisa's conviction would impede her from ever having a fair trial. Mm -hmm. Lisa received uh, $35,000 settlement with the guard accused receiving a year and a half to three year sentence. <sighs> Abuse of power, what? Yeah, what? Hmm. So when the guard was finally tried and convicted, Lisa was moved to a New Jersey prison. Later authorities would transfer her to Massachusetts to protect her from the vengeance of other guards. Obviously. 
Yeah. Um, she also claimed during um, that during this that another guard had assaulted her and also videotaped her during a strip search. This money would go to cover court costs, restitution owed, and anything left over was sent to her child. So this case has been widely in the media as a love triangle gone wrong. Yep. A jealous Lisa painting her as this like harlot that's like out scandalously dressed jealous woman. Right. That would do anything to keep her man, including murder. That's how this is painted in the media. Right. Can't find a single news article that doesn't. Right. And I understand that we hit you with a ton of information and you still, like we said at the very beginning, might be confused. Well, we're confused. But this is just an overview of events. Yeah. So our little surprise is... Drum roll. Friday. This Friday, we will be speaking with Lisa herself. From prison. From prison. And we will be hearing her side of her story, her appeal processes, her treatment by these police officers, um, and how, what's happened in the 31 years of her life that she has lost while Tabitha and Lawrence are walking free. Yep. And if anyone is questioning at all, I preach all the time what? Social responsibility. I say all the time that our legislators our laws everything work for us we are taxpayers they are representative representation of what we want Mm -hmm. and pennsylvania we're i'm i'm coming for you i want to know i like i have read all 1500 pages of this and i pay federal taxes Mm -hmm. that's my tax paying money Yep. And the people of Pennsylvania, you know, I, I say this a lot and hear it like this time. Justice is only served when those that are not affected by it care as much as those who are. This could be you. And not for one second are we saying that Lisa is innocent at all. She she fucked up. She did. She she should not have been there. She should have done something. Do I think that she but committed we, murder? Do I think that she committed murder? Hell no. I don't. Do I think that she should still be in prison? No, I don't. Do I think that this should have been a mistrial? Absolutely. Is it absolutely awful that someone is dead? Yes. And I don't want to take away from that. Mm-hmm. And my heart absolutely bleeds for Hazel, for the loss of her daughter, that I could not imagine. I could not imagine, but I have a million questions and I am so excited to get to talk to Lisa, to get this opportunity to have her friend on the outside that we've been talking to. Oh my God, that boy. I love him. I love him, which has made it very, very difficult to stay objective Mm -hmm. because it's like, I mean, the first time that we talked to him on the phone, I was just like, oh my gosh, you're my new best friend. I know. He's amazing. And his love and support for Lisa, I know. unwavering. So we're going to have both of them on on yep. Friday. And then like we said, we foresee this becoming a multi-part it will deal. Be. Because, I mean, I want to know. I want to hear her story, first and foremost. Yeah. And just the horrible treatment. I mean, starting from the beginning. Yeah. Of abuse of power from the Lam- from East everything. Lampeter police mm-hmm. department to the prison guards to uh, all of it all of it is well, absolutely lawrence lives in the hometown where this <clears throat> happened 
Yeah. And has a family and is moving on with his life. Right. I don't know much about Tabitha. I just know she lives in Oregon, but she's free. Yeah. See, and I and I don't necessarily really give a shit. So the person, though, that's the thing, though. The person that has fought for their freedom the hardest and the loudest. It's her. Is sitting in jail. And she has. She she's has fought for her freedom. She has. She is a survivor on so many damn levels. The things that this woman has endured and survived is mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. Like, how much can one person take? Mm-hmm. And to have that outlook and the and the will to keep fighting is, it's amazing. It is. And again, I'm not trying to take away from what happened because that, it was horrific. It was horrific. But staying objective and, and following the evidence, which is what I have done. I, I don't care what, like I said, I don't care what these transcripts say. I don't care what how many times the story changed or any of that. Like, I followed the evidence and I validated things and she didn't do it. She didn't. I don't think. And she was six months pregnant. And she very much spoke of how she was worried about, like, protecting her child. And I I can't remember which document. I read in one of these pages that she had talked about how Lori, she had heard a rumor that Lori was pregnant with Lawrence's baby. And so... Mm -hmm. When they originally were going to go pull a prank, she was like, well, maybe we shouldn't. I don't want to hurt the baby. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be good to talk to her. It's going to be. And, you know, we don't edit our videos. We, I mean, what you guys what you get, get is what you get. No, I mean, we, I don't want a super fabricated, make-believe, perfectly edited podcast. I don't mm-hmm. want that. Like, you get the good, you get the bad, you get it all. Like, that's mm-hmm. what we get. But these calls with her from from prison, she's only allowed fifteen minute increments, and so you're gonna get it live. You're gonna get it. You're a gonna get of, it raw. Here's your countdown to when she. And she, we're just gonna have to. She's gonna have to hang up and call, call back, back and start and, again. And I mean, but we're gonna do it because I I want the experience. I want this to be as transparent. Well, the most fucking transparent thing that this case has ever seen. Because it's not. Because it's not. And it's fixing to get that way. So we'll see you guys soon. And uh, she'll be with us. And we'll go from there. Thanks for sitting through this with us. Welcome to the ride. And like we said, stick with it through the to the end. Because like this was a very brief. And this was an hour long. This is a very brief overview. Yeah, this one's going to go deep. Brief. There's a lot to this one. And it could happen to any of us. All right. Thanks, guys. We will see you on Friday. Stay safe.